0: Hey, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on DSTV Channel 802, on the audio bouquet, and online you can stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the issue of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's said that the number of Ebola cases has risen dramatically to 2,000 people who have been detected to have the deadly virus in the country. This is according to the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent societies. Now, attempts to deal with this rising outbreak, medical experts are also saying they could resuscitate the use of an experimental vaccine which was used in an earlier outbreak of Ebola. The virus, we know, that historically has left 11,000 people dead since it affected three Western countries in 2014. Well, to help us on this, we're going to start this conversation with Nicole Fasina, who is uh, the Ebola virus Disease Coordinator at the International Federation of uh, the Red Cross Crescent Societies. Hey, thank you for joining us here uh, on uh, Channel Africa, Nicole.
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Now, the thing is, um, the the, the big topic here is the idea of um, the main question, which is what is creating this resurgence of the Ebola crisis in the Democratic Republic of Congo?
2: Yes, this is a very good question. I think we have to recognize that we have Ebola in a very challenging context. So not only is this the first outbreak, the second or the third, this is the 10th outbreak of Ebola that we're seeing in DRC. And this is an area we hear from the communities and we see from the existing work that we've done in DRC that there have also been challenges with outbreak of measles, outbreak of cholera, uh, long-standing conflict and on top of that we're now seeing an outbreak of Ebola um, and it's very important that we take and see what we're learning things from these communities and understand that it's not just this one challenge in the areas that we're seeing it's, it's multiple challenges that are facing these communities.
0: Can we unpack those challenges?
2: Absolutely we can and actually this is um, At the base of what we're doing in our response and this is what we call a community-led response and by this i mean we're not only listening to the communities but we are hearing the communities and responding to their feedback so for example we've collected um, large amounts of data by doing uh, door-to-door programming in these communities and we analyze this data and then feed it back into the response i'll give you an example so we were hearing earlier on in the epidemic um, that we were using black body bags for a practice we call safe and dignified burials. Um, and I'll pause and explain safe and dignified burials just briefly. This is a process. Ebola is most contagious at the end of someone's life. And safe and dignified burials is is arguably one of the most critical points to help containing the outbreak. It's a way you allow the loved ones to say goodbye to their family, but also make sure that you safely bury the body and, and reduce the spread. And so what we were hearing from the communities is that they, they were not um, there was some resistance to the use of a black body bag for burying the dead. And so what we did instead with the communities was look at ways um, of adapting this approach. So instead, we now use a clear body bag where loved ones can see their family members, say goodbye to them um, in a dignified way, and then properly bury the body.
0: Okay, let's look also around the confusion around the numbers here, because... Some sources are saying that uh, we are seeing declines. Some sources, uh, such as yourself, have actually said that uh, the... um cases have actually risen to the number 2,000 people who have lately been uh, detected to have the deadly virus. Here, Why is there such confusion when it comes to these numbers, uh, when it comes to different sources? And um, in terms of what's happening on the ground around the issue of containment as well, could you elaborate on that particular um, matter?
2: Yes, great point. And so I think we do have to recognize that because we have Ebola in a very challenging context, um, there are, um, you know, a high number of unknown contexts, and there are some of the issues that you're mentioning. We call, what we're seeing right now in terms of the epi data, we call it super spreading and so we're seeing um, increase in some of the epicenter and the hot spots but we're also noticing we have to be high alert in preparedness for surrounding areas so just recently we saw an area that had not seen a case for 42 days have a, a recent uh, pop-up uh, and another case there uh, and, and as you've heard I'm sure we've also um, seen a case in uganda with information coming out last night and this really reinforces the need um to use uh, local responders and and prepare your local responders because in drc we know it's not um in each base, that's where uh, your local responders should be and this is what we hear from the community so it's not just having uh, a team ready in Butembo which is a hot spot, but it's also having a team ready in Bunia which is another um, health area, and it's not just having a team ready in Goma, it's having one ready in each of the areas, so I would say the best way to, to address the challenges that you're saying is by maintaining um, and preparing our teams, our local level teams in each of those areas. And this is exactly what our Red Cross volunteers and staff are doing.
0: Okay, let me bring in Tariq uh, Jarashevich, who is a spokesperson of the World Health Organization. And also we've got uh, Tristan Le Loncure who is from Doctors Without Borders. He's a deputy emergency coordinator there. Tariq, let me bring you into this discussion here. And we've been talking around the different issues here. And I don't know if um, the health... um, um, department or the health system in the DRC is actually systematically struggling with the containment of Ebola. Clearly, that is the case. And I don't want us to be too critical because I know you guys are working within the DRC alongside um, the health department of the Democratic Republic of Congo. But I'd like us also to elaborate more on some of the challenges that are faced now with this resurgence. And maybe you could also elaborate on giving us the reasons why we're seeing this uh, outbreak uh, this time around.
1: Well, we have been uh, saying from the beginning of, of this outbreak uh, that was declared uh, on August first last year that uh, a, a outbreak is happening in a very difficult uh, context. This is the area of an active conflict uh, with a high mobility of the population, uh, with uh, uh, with a situation where you have different armed groups uh, uh, and presence of, of, of different. Uh, factions that uh, that may or may not trust the, the the leadership of the of the government, and this is exactly what happened. Basically, uh, we had a number of incidents, security incidents that were either targeting directly Bola responders, uh, or uh, were were results of a general insecurity, but would affect uh, uh, the, the the daily activities of res- uh, response teams. So basically, every time there is a Uh, there is a security incident, we are not able to uh, go to the community, we are not able to provide uh, vaccination Mm -hmm. activities, contact tracing activities, to get people who may be sick to the treatment centers, to provide them with supportive care. So all these elements, once we are, uh, if we are not there in the community, and I'm talking really for all partners who are working to support Ministry of Health uh, uh, in this regard. So if we are not able to do these activities uh, then uh, people who are sick uh, will uh, uh, first uh, uh, stay without a proper care, uh, but also uh, maybe infecting others. So and this is what we see uh, as a pattern. Every time we go back to community, we see that there was intensification of the transmission of the virus, and then we see uh, more cases. So really, the the the, the key is the access. Uh, key is to have a Stable uh, security and political climate in which uh, response teams uh, would be uh, able to uh, to do uh, their job. So we have people on the ground, uh, we have a strategy, we have tools, but we really need uh, to be uh, given the space to to to, uh, to to put in place necessary containment measures.
0: That's a big challenge, Tariq, that you're highlighting there. Uh, I was speaking with Nicole just as we started this program, Tariq. She's from the International Federation of the Red Cross uh, Crescent Societies. And we also were speaking around uh, the issue of uh, data collating around this particular um, outbreak. What are your thoughts around that? What is the World Health Organization finding in that regard?
1: Well, we are really uh, working with, with all the partners to, uh, to to be able to mount uh, the, the, the all elements uh, of response. And uh, our colleagues from uh, uh, from International Federation of Red Cross are key partners in several activities, including uh, secure and dignified burials, community engagement, uh, uh, and, and, sure. and other activities. Well, what we are really seeing again is that. Uh, we see that, uh, for example, uh, uh, the, 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 the ratio of transmission of the, of the virus from one person to how many other people uh, will be infected is low. Uh, 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 and we think that this is because of the vaccination. We really believe that the vaccination has averted a number of cases because on average we see that one person is infecting only one person, although there are many contacts that are being registered. So if we manage to va- vaccinate uh, uh, every contact, uh, 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 we think that we would be able really to, 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 to go down in numbers. The problem is that currently uh, vaccination rate is about 90%. So we are reaching about 90% of those who are identified as contacts. Uh, now now we have to see uh, what happens with the 10 others. Some of them may be refusing to be vaccinated, uh, and this is the issue then of, uh, of a community engagement. Uh, some of them we may not be able to find, and that's a, that may be operational challenge. But yes, the challenge really we have right now is, uh, is, is, is the access, but also to build that trust with the community, because we had uh, instances where communities uh, would be uh, uh, would be reluctant to take part in certain activities, and this is really uh, something that really uh, we need to work with all partners to understand, to listen to community, and see how we can provide not only Ebola-related services, but how we can uh, uh, provide other services. You were mentioning the weak health systems. Uh, yes, in, in DRC and especially in this part of DRC, uh, health systems are not uh, at the level we would like it to be. There is a lots of uh, uh, sort of private, uh, semi-traditional, semi-modern, as they call them, uh, tradi-modern uh, health centers uh, uh, where infection prevention control measures are not at the level that needs to be. And we have mm-hmm. seen lots of transmission mm-hmm. of the virus in those. Uh, centers, mm. uh, and then we have to really ask ourselves why people go to these centers and don't go to hospitals. Sure. So, uh, so, so this is this is again uh, uh, something to look sure. at how we can help uh, uh, health system as a whole, including that uh, private sector, uh, to to get up to the level that would prevent uh, transmission of the virus uh, uh, at the healthcare facility level.
0: That's the voice of Tariq uh, Jarashevich, who is a spokesperson of the World Health Organization. I also have Nicole Fasina, who is uh, from the International Federation of the Red Cross uh, Crescent Societies. Uh, she's the Ebola virus disease coordinator. And uh, we also have Tristan Leclerc, who is uh, from Doctors Without Borders. Uh, she's the deputy emergency coordinator. I'm going to come back to her after this break. And I want to look at this issue of excess, because we know also because of the geographic uh, landscape of the DRC. It's a bit of a challenge and as well the fact that we also have some internal conflicts in the country that could create that uh, access to certain areas and we will highlight that after this break. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here palesa mokubong who's a designer welcome palesa to change your game thank you your role at the fourth annual fashion without borders event i just know that i need to arrive and and, <laughs>
3: okay. and do my part and do it really really well exactly.
0: Hey, today we're looking at the very serious issue of uh, the recent Ebola outbreak, which has been estimated so far to have affected 2,000 people in uh, various parts of the Democratic Republic of Congo. This is a story we've been following in the last uh, few years, uh, and it has been one that has been very dynamic in how uh, the Ebola uh, virus actually comes and goes. And it's very interesting to actually uh, keep our toes when it comes to to this particular matter. And what was interesting was also just a warning by the World Health Organization stating that it seems like the Ebola outbreaks are becoming a new normal and that the international community must be on a lookout for that. But I'd like us to move on to you, Tristan, and, and look at that particular matter of excess because, you know, the DRC is such a complex country geographically and also the politics of the country, and um, Tariq was highlighting the, the challenges of Access? could you could you speak on that as well how you as doctors without borders and maybe other organizations such as the world health organization and the red cross are actually trying to navigate that particular uh, challenge well um
3: uh, i'm glad to be with you guys um yeah of course uh the access uh is a range Um, But I don't think we should, like, uh, emphasize too much or, you know, highlight uh, this challenge uh, more than others. I think uh, community trust uh, is also a key element, and maybe uh, this is something that has been neglected in the beginning. So, of course, uh, it's not an easy area to, to provide care. But I think um, a person is not going to say that he's, uh, suffering is uh, also a, a big challenge. So we need to really uh, put the community at the center of the healthcare. We need to also integrate Ebola uh, activities in the local uh, health care system. Um, and we also need to uh, give uh, the chance to the people who are exposed to have uh, several choices like being vaccinated. Um, So yeah, insecurity is a challenge, but um, Mm community trust is uh, really a key element for us.
0: Yeah, I heard a little bit of that. We're going to see if we can try and reconnect with you there, Tristan, on that particular matter. Um, Nicole, what are your thoughts around that issue of uh, accessibility and also insecurity? I know that it's something that uh, is a challenge and we can't really run away from it. Nicole, are you there? nicole can you hear okay. me? there we go can you hear me yeah clearly
2: great uh, yes you're exactly right this is an operational challenge and this is exactly why we have to listen to the communities and our adapter approach to work in this context um so the red cross movement uh, the the red cross has been in country for a hundred years and we also have many other um, members of the red cross who have been working in DRC, in North Kivu and that, that make our local responders best place when we're talking about access. They are from the communities themselves. They are working with their communities Um, and this is what we're hearing from the community and needs to be the way forward in this approach. Again, this is going back to what we call a community-led approach and this is what we need to see, um, see more of. So, for example, this is having safe and dignified burial teams trained from the communities in which they live, responding in the communities in which they live. Um, And we notice that this is something that can help with resistance and and help with access. But we really, uh, and and again, we're well-placed with our 1,500 volunteers to be able to do this. But it's really important um, that... That we hear from the community and see how it's changing the response so another quick example is earlier on in the response in October we saw only 21% of the safe and dignified burial alerts were coming from the community but after our work in the communities and with community engagement and messaging we now see that for example uh, in some of the hotspot areas 81% of the alerts are coming from the community and this is what we need to see more of. This
0: is the way forward. Okay, staying with you, um, Nicole, um, it's very interesting to also see the status of this experimental vaccine that was alluded to by Tariq earlier on. I don't know if the International Federation of the Red Cross Crescent Societies is um, involved in in, in that, the the vaccination. Um, And how is that going so far? Because there's also different sporadic reports around that and its effectiveness.
2: It's a good question, uh, and so I would agree with uh, Tarek by saying that um, the vaccination has played an important role um, in in the successes that we're seeing in this outbreak. Uh, we do uh, as well hear and 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 see what the community is um, is saying about the vaccination, and this is something that we also share back through um, the coordination and with other external partners because our role is. Uh, isn't directly with the vaccination. Our role is in community engagement, safe and dignified burials, and in some other areas. But it's important um, that we work together as external partners, and we work together with partners like WHO to make sure we're addressing these concerns coming from the community, in particularly with regard to vaccination as well.
0: Okay, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to stay with you, Nicole. I think we're having some line problems with our other guests. We'll see if we can try reconnect with them. Uh, that is Nicole Ficina, uh the Ebola Virus Disease Coordinator at the International Federation of the Red Cross Crescent Societies. And also, we were speaking to Tariq uh, Jaroshevich, who is a spokesperson of the World Health Organization. Uh, Tristan Lelandke was there as well, but we're struggling with his line. He was from Doctors Without Borders. He's a deputy emergency Coordinator, When we come back with Nicole, I'd like us to go back to the um, simple stuff around Ebola. What should people be looking out for? I know this information sometimes just gets lost when it comes to messaging. And I think we can also try to reestablish that um, um Simple Q and A kind of question: of What should be done uh, as an ordinary person around Ebola? But also, I'd also before we look at that, I would like us to also look at that question around how should neighbouring countries re- bo- uh, respond to the, the the DRC problem? Should they be also taking measures to to monitor the situation I- I on their front? Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. <laughs> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite, from an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalu and you are listening to Channel Africa.
1: We love
0: Africa from African Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Hey, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday we look at the big stories on the African continent. Don't forget to engage with us on our social media. On our Facebook page, we're on Channel Africa, and you can also find us on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. It's the numeric one there at the end at Channel Africa One. Right now, we left with Nicole Fosina, who is the Ebola virus disease coordinator at the International International Federation of the Red Cross Crescent Societies speaking to us around the recent outbreak of Ebola now let's look at this particular issue in terms of um, should there be a, a thinking around regional thinking here um nicole because should we not just be also be proactive here in terms of looking at neighboring countries um, in West Africa in terms of how they deal with this issue? What, what should happen also from a ascetic region? Maybe there should be concerns. What are your thoughts on that regard?
2: yes i uh, i agree with you again so the regional component to this outbreak is is a critical piece and so we have launched our appeal addressing not only the response in the epicenters and in drc but also addressing the priority one countries. so this is the countries at risk rwanda uganda burundi and south sudan and there are also priority two countries as you mentioned which would include some countries in in the Southern Africa region. So what we have uh, at IFRC is a regional cell working on this containment, and this is important because it takes lessons learned from DRC and adapts it into the preparedness work, and uh, potentially um, if there if there is other outbreaks in the regional in the regional countries to make sure. Um, we are addressing this in the best way as per what we're hearing from the community I'll give you an example of this so uh, if we are to do a simulation exercise or a drill for safe and dignified burial in uh, Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda, South Sudan it's critical that we put community messaging and, and information at the core of what we do for example if someone If you were to have a fire drill in your own building and no one told you that there was a fire drill, you would likely assume that this is a real real risk And so, what we need to do is share messaging and alert communities if we're doing a simulation or a drill, but at the same time, um, also alert communities of signs and symptoms, for example, of Ebola, because um, the survival rate increases if you seek early support and you know where to go to seek that support, whether it's an Ebola treatment center or another health clinic. Um, So, these are two very important lessons learned that we need to ensure from drc and it's only by having this regional perspective that we close the loops and and we share this information amongst the countries but it also speaks to the um, um the the strength of the Red Cross movement because we have locally trained responders in DRC and in the region and from West Africa Ebola who are ready and on standby to respond in any one of these countries. We have our stocks ready to be mobilized across these countries. We have our technical expertise in community engagement and developing safe and, and dignified training teams uh, and responders. And so um Your point Mm -hmm. is very important, and I would like others also to hear, uh, because the funding is not always Mm -hmm. uh, as easily accessible for the regional side, and it really does need to be, especially with the news last night of the case in Uganda.
0: Okay. Okay. Nicole. Nicole, let's go back to the basics because I know that we can underestimate those, but uh, we can, I believe, when it comes to outbreaks such as this, we can always re-emphasize and re-educate and repeat ourselves over and over again around the basics, what to do. Can you assist us on that as we wrap up the show?
2: Yes exactly. Um, so as mentioned the one of the most important things is to to know and understand some of the signs and symptoms for Ebola. Um, and and so if you start Are you still, can you still hear me? Very
0: clearly. Carry on, you're very clear, Nicole.
2: Great, thanks. Um, so it, it's things like monitoring your fever and, and monitoring other signs and symptoms. But what's critical then is for the community to know where to go to seek support if you start seeing some of these signs and symptoms for Ebola. Um, so in DRC, it's clearly identifying the Ebola treatment centers. Um, and understanding, um, you know, how you transmit Ebola is, is also very critical. Um, so we we would urge the communities to listen to the Red Cross um, teams who are sharing this information, and really um, to understand that this is validated, verified information um, coming from their community, not from an external source. To make sure uh, that they that they contain the outbreak and reduce the 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 risk of infection amongst their loved ones and other families.
0: As we're about to wrap up, you were speaking about the funding issue, Um, Nicole, um, what's the call here that's been made by international bodies? Because I know when it comes international, when it comes to humanitarianism, um, funding is constrained currently in the uh, geopolitics of the world currently. Uh, What should be done in this regard in terms of funding? What's the call by international bodies for more assistance in this regard?
2: Yes it's very important um that we seek funding as part of the the whole approach and so our appeal that's open again uh, seeks funding for drc as well as rwanda burundi uganda and south sudan for example the the funding that we're seeking on the regional component allows for the strategic overview from a regional coordination body in terms of contingency planning um, and 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 supporting that overall strategic operation. But more importantly, it allows for funding for volunteers screening at the border. So we see tens of thousands of people crossing, for example, the DRC to Rwanda border or the DRC to Uganda border, and it allows for volunteers to be trained and and screening. It allows for the the Red Cross to put together safe and dignified burial teams who are ready to respond um, in the event of an outbreak. And it also allows for community engagement for the needs that we discussed, so informing the community, setting up systems to listen and hear back from the community. And these are uh, strong advantages. That the Red Cross is well placed uh, and and we need to keep so we would urge uh, funding to support these critical pillars that will help the acceptance um, and as well ending the Ebola outbreak.
0: Well, thank you so much, um, uh, Nicole, for your patience and uh, for you to give us that elaborate uh, understanding of the situation on the ground. And we really appreciate you joining us here on Channel Africa for this very important show as we really look at this crisis and try to make sure that we minimize it as much as we can on the African continent. Thank you so much for giving us your time.
2: Thank you so much for having me.